0: Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey.
1: Hello, it's Paul and Byron by the Vancouver Giants.
2: I'm Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades.
3: I'm Dylan Cousins of the Westbridge Hurricanes. Hey guys, this is Cam here.
2: Spencer Knight. This is Matt Boldy. It's Alex Turcotte from Team USA. Hi, it's Maurice Sider from the I'm.
0: This is Alexis Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic. Major Junior. They were the best in the QMJHL, and now the Huskies are Memorial Cup champions. NCAA. Everybody in that Bulldog section's on their feet. The bench is ready to party as the UMD Bulldogs are back-to-back national champions. The World Juniors. Time winding down, and Finland has won the World Junior Championship in Vancouver in spectacular style. The NHL Draft. With
4: well, the first pick overall, the New Jersey Devils are proud to select from the U.S. program Jack Hughes.
0: And more.
1: Unbelievable. Wow.
5: That's
0: incredible. This is the Pipeline Show.
5: All right. All right.
0: Good weekend, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. I want to take a second to thank everybody for coming back. If you're a returning listener, and of course, if you're a newcomer to the show, then let me know on Twitter how you uh, heard about the program in the first place, where you're listening from, and uh, what uh, encouraged you or convinced you to download this week's episode. I'm always curious to, to find out how new listeners came across the show. And for you returning listeners... Wherever you get your uh, copy of the Pipeline show from, whether it's iTunes or Spotify or or SoundCloud or whatever, if there is a, a place there where you can leave a ranking and or a comment, uh, please do. I would uh, appreciate it if you would take a second and do that. That just enables and maybe encourages uh, other uh, listeners to uh, try the show out. Uh, people who are just kind of uh, searching for a, uh, a Hockey Prospect podcast or something and the Pipeline show comes up. Maybe they've never heard of it and they look at the comments and they see, hey, it's got three or four or five stars and uh, some nice comments from listeners, that would be appreciated. I'd be very grateful if you would take the time to do that. As always, we start with the question of the day, and I put it up on Twitter uh, just a little while ago. I asked, uh, right now, of all the uh, coaches at the uh, Major Junior or the Division One level in the NCAA, who do you expect, not who do you think would do well if given the opportunity, but who do you actually expect to be coaching in the NHL in, say, the next five to ten years? Uh, and lots of feedback has already come into the inbox, uh, which is always great. I really appreciate that. A lot of it from the Western Hockey League, and I would assume that's because of where I'm based out here in uh, in Alberta. Uh, but here's some of the uh, the responses uh, thus far. Daryl suggests Mitch Love. He's with the Saskatoon Blades. Uh, Paul Figler from uh, Dub Network. He says also Mitch Love. Also mentions uh, Brent Kissio behind the bench with the Lethbridge Hurricanes. Dave Lowry is with uh, the Brandon Wheat Kings. Michael Dick in Vancouver. Manny Viveros uh, down in Spokane. And uh, Manny, I don't think, was intending on coming back to the WHL. So, I, you know, at the uh, end of last year when he was uh, done with the Edmonton Oilers, uh, I think his intention was to uh, find another NHL job. It didn't happen, so he did come back to the WHL in, in Spokane. But I would think if uh, the opportunity came, he'd probably jump at it. Uh, Lucas Pancari uh, says Dennis Williams in Everett. Uh, Boom Boom Gifrion says uh, also Dennis Williams. Uh, Jordan suggests it's Dan Price in uh, Victoria. Jackie uh, offers up three names. He says Andre a 100%, uh, Jim Hulton, and uh, Jason Forche. Uh, Dark Horse is there for her. And Brandon Rivers, also from Dub Network uh, mentions Dennis Williams of the Everett Silvertips. So lots of love there. And the uh, Silvertips having a great season once again. But if you want to get involved in the conversation, follow me on Twitter. That's at TPS underscore And uh, share your thoughts with the rest of the audience as well. Let's get to the CHL News and the NCAA Notes. The top 10 in the Canadian Hockey League. That comes out in the middle of the week. So coming into this weekend's play, the Sherbrooke Phoenix remain number one. Uh, No change, actually, in the top three. Ottawa, uh, the 67s, are ranked number two. And the Moncton Wildcats, who are uh, red-hot, maybe even white-hot right now, supernova-hot, they are uh, still in the number three spot. The Everett Silvertips go from six to four. The Edmonton Oil Kings stay at number five. And the Portland Winterhawks drop from four to six. The London Knights are at seven. Shakutami is at eight. The Kitchener Rangers come in at number 9, and the Saginaw Spirit enter the top 10 in that final spot. Go across the three leagues in uh, in terms of the scoring race, and uh, number 1 right now is Marco Rossi from the Ottawa 67s with 110 points. Right behind him, though, Alexi Lafreniere with 109. And then you go back to the OHL, and it's uh, Colt Perfetti who has 105 points. Just one century man in uh, the dub so far. That's Adam Beckman, who hit the 100 mark against the Edmonton Oil Kings here a couple of nights ago in a uh, impressive performance by Spokane and a really disappointing outing uh, by the Oil Kings. But uh, 100 points for Adam Beckman. Then you got a few guys who are in the high 90s Phil Tomasino in Oshawa with 98, Connor McMichael and Arthur Kaliev, both of them with 97 points, Alexander Hovanov has 96. And Seth Jarvis of the Portland Winterhawks with 94 points. Conference playoffs at the U-Sport level uh, winding down here uh, tonight and tomorrow. Acadia is uh, looking to uh, pull off the upset against UNB. They won game one, but uh, were trounced 6-0 in game two. Uh, meanwhile, Concordia, who uh, upset Carleton along the way, uh, they're playing against Western and Ottawa against Guelph this time next week. We'll know for sure, and uh, we'll get to the eight-team U-Sport uh, National Championship bracket uh, for next week's show as well. So uh, a little bit more to be decided before we know exactly which eight teams are headed to Halifax for Nationals. As for the NCAA notes, uh, Cornell, now the number one-ranked team with a record of 23-2-4, and North Dakota is ranked two. Minnesota State, who split with Bemidji last weekend, they are now number three. Boston College uh, stays firm at number four, as does Minnesota Duluth in the five spot. Denver, six. Clarkson, seven. No changes there. Penn State moves up one to number eight. Massachusetts down one uh, to number nine. And Bemidji enters the top ten. 11 through 20 go Ohio State, UMass Lowell. Arizona State holding uh, steady and uh, still looking like they're going to get into the national championship. Uh, Quinnipiac at 14, followed by Maine Northeastern. Western Michigan, Providence, Minnesota, and American International. Northeastern's really fallen on hard time. That does come up in a conversation uh, uh, in the uh, first couple of segments uh, on today's show, so I won't delve into it uh, too much. But, uh, boy, lost to Vermont a couple of weekends ago and uh, were embarrassed by Boston College 10-1 a couple of weeks before that. Conference playoffs begin in the NCAA uh, this weekend. In fact, uh, starting tonight, not yet in Hockey East or the NCHC. you got one more weekend of regular season action uh, for those two conferences. Still some seeding to be figured out uh, in uh, both of those conferences as well. But the Big Ten tournament starts. you got Michigan State playing against Michigan. Ohio State again, uh, will be hosting Wisconsin. Uh, the Golden Gophers hosting Notre Dame. In the WCHA, it's Lake Superior against Bemidji. Bowling Green on the road up in Alaska. Minnesota State welcomes Alaska Anchorage. And uh, Northern Michigan will host Michigan Tech. In the ECAC, Brown uh, will go to uh, Colgate. St. Lawrence takes on Harvard. That actually should be a pretty good matchup. Yale and Union collide, and it'll be Princeton against Dartmouth. And in the AHA, that's the Atlantic Conference, uh, the tournament there sees uh, Holy Cross taking on Robert Morris. Mercyhurst against Air Force Bentley. Uh, takes on Canisius. All guests of the Pipeline Show, join me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. My plan last weekend was to go to Red Deer. The Old Kings were in town. I was going to hook up with uh, Cam Moon, the voice of the Rebels. We were going to go to uh, Troubled Monk, uh, enjoy some lunch. Uh, but the uh, weather turned really bad, and the road, although it wasn't closed, probably should have been. Old Kings were actually going to Red Deer from uh, south in the province, and got there the night before all the snow. Uh, But I canceled my trip, so I did not get to go down uh, and and stop in at the uh, the tap room. There is a home-at-home series to close out the uh, season, though, between the Oil Kings and the Rebels. So it's on my calendar, and that's the plan, is to get down uh, to Red Deer uh, to broadcast that game, but also uh, to stop in and see uh, Bud and everybody at the tap room and to try some delicious stuff that they have on tap. You can get a tour of the tap room if you want. You have to uh, notify them ahead of time. But the uh, address, 5551 45th Street in Red Deer. Uh, and so much cool stuff uh, that you can check out there. They have food and beverage uh, at the tap room. They also uh, mentioned, I saw on Twitter, they're uh, mentioning that they have, I believe it, they said it was the 5th annual uh, Troubled Monk Run. That'll be coming up this summer. June 15th is uh, the date of that. They have a 5 and a 10-kilometer course. So if you are a uh, runner... Uh, you might want to check out that. it's uh, There's information about it on their website at troubledmonk.com. And here is the guest list, all these people who you'll hear via the Troubled Monk hotline. We're going to start today's show off with a 2020 draft spotlight. Cole Perfetti, one of the uh, top-ranked players in the entire class of 2020. He's uh, my first guest this week. Then we'll talk a little NCAA playoffs. The uh, Hockey East playoffs don't get going this weekend, but they uh, come around next weekend. Jimmy Conley from USCHO, always a terrific guest, does a great job of uh, setting the table of what is still left to be decided this weekend uh, before the playoffs start. Then we'll head out to the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League and Mike Sanderson, who uh, is a longtime broadcaster there, also writes for McKean's Hockey. Uh, He Updates us on uh, everything happening in the queue. We haven't talked about the queue much here over the last uh, two or three weeks, so I needed to get an update there. Uh, Then we skip back to uh, Saskatchewan for another 2020 draft spotlight. It's also an in-the-dub segment. Caden Gooley of the Prince Albert Raiders, another probable first-round pick defenseman with the Raiders, uh, trying to help the defending champs repeat this year. Uh, Tall order, though. Tough ask. It hasn't happened since the mid-'90s. Uh, But the Raiders playing some pretty good hockey right now. So we'll get to know Caden Gooley. And we will close out today's show with a uh, look at the Alberta Junior Hockey League playoffs. Tyler Uremchuk hosts a show called Inside the AJHL on TSN 1260 here in Edmonton. Uh, So we'll talk to him about what the playoffs in the AJHL look like. So all that still to come. Uh, I also uh, noticed uh, looking at Pro Stock Hockey's uh, Twitter feed uh, today that they've got new stuff from the Minnesota Wild in. So if you're a fan of uh, not just the Wild, but you want to get some uh, like legit NHL uh, quality uh, practice jerseys and things like that, of course all the sticks, uh, why don't you give them a, a little look, ProStockHockey.com. But we will kick it off with a 2020 draft spotlight, Cole Perfetti of the Saginaw Spirit. He's my first guest this week here on the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming.
3: to tide he has to score to keep this going stay in blackwood to stop the colts win five straight stops
4: hey it's mackenzie blackwood i play for the very cool you're listening to the pipeline show
0: your Edmonton Oil Kings are bringing playoff hockey to Rogers Place
6: secure your seat for every single home game during the 2020 WHL playoffs
3: get your Oil Kings playoff pass now for only $125 per seat which includes a bonus 2019-2020 regular season
2: game voucher
6: the more we play the less you pay don't miss a moment of playoff action purchase your Edmonton Oil Kings WHL playoff pass today at oilkings.ca
1: great family entertainment at Rogers Place starts at just $20 a seat save on day of game
0: pricing now at oilkings.ca You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. And boom goes the dynamite. We're back on the Pipeline Show and we're going to start this week's episode off with a 2020 Draft Spotlight. My guest coming from the Canadian Hockey League and all my CHL insiders brought to you by The Store Next Door out in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia. Collecting broken hockey sticks and turning that junk into some treasures uh, for your fan cave or your sports bar. Uh, Give them a look online at thestorenextdoor.ca, employing people with disabilities and uh, doing a great job in their community. My guest today... One of the top-ranked players available in the entire draft class of 2020. His name is Cole Perfetti, plays for the Saginaw Spirit, and he is ripping up the OHL this year. Cole, welcome to the Pipeline Show. How are you?
2: I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me.
0: Uh, Pleasure to get a chance to speak with you, and and I guess we can start there with just 103 points as you and I are speaking right now. This show will come out in a few days, so you might have increased that number by then, but uh, I got to think you're pretty happy with the way things have gone for you as an individual and, and for the team this year.
2: Yeah, the, the year's been good so far. Um, you know, the team's doing great. We're, we're in a dogfight for the, for the conference, um, conference lead here. So we're, we're doing good. And, um, you know, it's always nice to be on a winning team and, and having success. But, uh, you know, a lot of my individual success is, is coming from the team success, being on a great team, um, playing with great players. And, um, you know, it's been a good year so far. Uh, got, got a lot of you guys to play with. And, um, you know, I've been lucky enough to, to, find the back of the net um you know to put up some points and um you know i thought my my, my play's been good this year so um you know i'm, I'm really happy with the the, the way this year going
0: have your line mates been pretty consistent all year or has that changed up a lot i know there have been some players coming in and out
2: yeah um you know the lines they they've changed a bit here and there um i started with with koski and drew and played with jenkins and buzz a little bit and, and now with the the ryan suzuki trade i've been playing with him a lot lately but mm. uh that's the beauty of our team. They're, our team's so deep, and we've got four lines that can that can contribute and play. So, um, you know, I've played with almost everyone up and down the lineup, and, um, you know, I've had success with everyone. So it's kind of nice being able to play with great players every day. And it um, doesn't matter where you are in the lineup, you're, you're going to be playing with, with high end talent. So, um, you know, the lines have been jumbled a little bit, uh, but I think uh, consistently it's been Koski and, and Suzuki.
0: Well, and I know uh this is a second year I think that the, the team has gone out and made big additions at the before the trade deadline this year Ryan Suzuki. You also get Bodie Wild back uh, right before the deadline too. What does that mean to the team, you know, inside the inside the dressing room that the uh, management and the GM goes out and acquires impact players like that?
2: Yeah, it's a real um confidence booster and morale booster in the room. Um, you know, it brings energy to the room knowing that, you know, our GMs believe in us that we're going to win this year and and that they're going to go make key, key trades and, and bring in assets that are going to help us go on a long run. So being able to be a part of that two years in a row with last year bringing in Tippett and McLeod and, and Murray and guys like that. Um, and now bringing in Suzuki and, and getting Bodie at the deadline. Um, it goes to show you that our, our team and our GM and, and management kind of believe in us and, and, and they believe that we're going to, we're going to have one of the top teams to go for it. So, um, it definitely, it definitely brings a lot to the room. They're great guys that come back and, um, you know, it's, it's been a lot of fun so far. We've had a lot of success since they've came. And, um, you know, we're looking for a long playoff run with these guys. And, um, you know, it's been a lot of fun. The spirit went
0: deep last year. And that experience, that's, I got to think that's probably uh, pretty invaluable to have experience like that. Having gone through the playoffs, the team knows what the rigor is like. That's going to set up well for this year.
2: Yeah, we have a, a big core group from last year that that, that came back this year and, and now getting quality. Um you know, he was another key piece to our team last year. So we definitely have a lot of experience, um, how to get to the playoffs, how to win in the playoffs and, and how to go deep. Um, obviously we lost in the, the conference final in game seven last year to Guelph, who we went on to win. But, uh, um, you know, there was a lot to learn in that playoff series and, and, um, a lot of winning attributes, um, we got from that. And we learned what it takes to, to get to the conference final and go deep. And, and, you know, we've kind of dissected our game from last year and, and implemented it this year. And, um, you know, we've had success and, um, you know, winning, having winning attributes and winning players, it, it goes so far. And um, You know, we're just excited for it.
0: Cole Perfetti of the Saginaw Spirit is my guest here on the Pipeline Show in the 2020 Draft Spotlight. Uh, not everybody that's hearing this interview right now, Cole, will be a, a, a an OHL fan or even a junior hockey fan. Um, so for the benefit of those people, maybe let's get a little bit of background. Uh, where are you from?
2: Yeah, I'm from Whippy, Ontario. Um, It's a smaller town just east of Toronto, and, um, you know, it's a big hockey town.
0: One of those classic stories, did you start skating on the backyard rink when you were two or something like that? How old were you when you first started playing?
2: Yeah, that's exactly it. I was two years old, um, on the pond in my backyard, near my backyard, and, um, just learned how to skate, um, and then slowly progressed to, to on the ice with a stick and a puck, and then, um, you know, by the age I was four, I was in a league and, and, and went from there.
0: Have you always been a forward? You're listed uh, where I'm looking at right now. It says you're a, a center. Another sheet just says forward. So uh, have you always been a forward?
2: Yeah, I have been always a, a center or, or a left winger. Um, always played forward my entire life, and um, it's been good.
0: Well, for a lot of kids, uh, when they're, you know, it might be peewee or squirt or novice or something like that, everybody's got to take a, their rotation uh, throwing the pads on and, and going in net. A lot of guys don't want to, but they, they go in anyway. Did you ever throw the pads on when you were little?
2: Yeah, and how league, I played goalie for one week. We had to take rotation. Uh, yeah. Went goalie for for the one practice and the one game, and um, got one got one right in the knee, and <laughs> kind of called it quits from there. And never wanted to go back in the net. Didn't really like uh, stop and pucks more. I like putting pucks in. So um, you know, I tried it, but uh, didn't really like it at all. Oh,
0: that's great. Take me back to uh, the OHL priority selection. What that day was like for you? Fifth overall pick, so you didn't have to wait long to hear your name called and. Um just being drafted that high, I imagine there's some pressure that goes along with that as well. But maybe take me back to that day. What uh your thoughts on Saginaw taking you, knowing you would you'd be going to Michigan and, and leaving the country to play. Uh when you look back, what was that like?
2: Yeah, it was uh it was an exciting day. Um you know, a lot of kids grow up waiting for that day and um you know, you, you put a lot of time and effort um to minor hockey to get to that day and and be chosen in the OHL draft. Um, I was actually committed to the University of Michigan at the time. So I wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't as involved in the draft. Um, you know, had my family over at the house and it was just watching it, but, uh, it, I, w- I was committed to go play NCAA. So, um, when Saginaw chose me, I didn't really think much of it. Um, and then I came down for rookie camp, met my billets and, um, you know, the rest is history. I kind of just fell in love with the place and, um, you know, they have so much to offer here. So. Um, I was just real excited to get down here, and then um, eventually signed a couple of weeks later. And you know, it was the best decision of my life so far.
0: So, what changed for you? Uh, detouring away from from Michigan, I mean, that's a pretty storied program. I don't know if Red uh, Coach Red Berenson was still there when you initially had committed or not, and if if that played a role in, in the change for you. But maybe uh, give me a an inside peek of what that the decision process was like.
2: Yeah, so I committed just after um, Red retired it was actually Mel Pearson was the coach um, when I, when I committed and um, you know, it was, it, I wanted to go to school. I, you know, I, my, my parents are big on school. I'm a, I'm a big school guy. So I wanted to make sure I got my education, but um, you know, I also want to make sure that I was giving myself the best opportunity to go to the NHL. And I, I, at the time I thought that, you know, I was either playing junior A or, or going to the USHL. And I just thought for my development and, in my hockey career, I thought that the OHL was going to be the best, um, best route for me. And, um, you know, you still get a great school program with the CHL. Um, so I I have that as a backup plan for sure. And, um, you know, it's been, it's been a great decision. Um, I've, uh, I've had a great time here and it's, it's been a lot of fun for sure. And, um, you know, it was the best decision I made going to the OHL and, um, you know, it's definitely put me in a spot to to, to be chosen in the NHL draft. And, uh, you know, it, it's been great so far.
0: Well, let's talk about the draft. And and I talked to a lot of players on this show that are in your position. And some guys say they don't want to think about the draft at all because it could be a distraction. Other guys say <clears throat> I go out and I look to see where I'm ranked because I use it as a motivator or something like that. You're ranked pretty high. Uh, what about the draft? When it comes to the draft, do you spend much time thinking about it or, or no?
2: Um, I think it's in everyone's head a little bit being in their draft year and, and it being the end goal of being drafted in the NHL. I think everyone thinks about it at times. I try to, you know, I see the ranking sometimes. I, if I see myself a little too low, I, I try to use his motivation. If I see myself high, then I, um, you know, try to just keep playing the way I am to get me to that spot. I kind of just try to stay level headed and, um, but if I see something, I, I kind of, just put it to the back of my head. You know, I, I go out every night. I try to just play my game, have fun and, and enjoy the process. You know, you only get your draft year one. So I'm just trying to go and have fun and, and enjoy it with the guys. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Um, and, and, uh, you know, I, I try, I think about the draft a little bit. I think everyone does, but um, I really try to just put it to the back of my head and um, just think, just focus on thinking about uh, going far on a playoff run with these guys.
0: Central Scouting has you fourth in North America. I think every list out there, and there's a lot of them, uh, I think pretty much everybody has you in their top ten, some in the top five. Does it matter where you get selected? There's no question you're going to be drafted. There's no pressure in that regard. But does it matter to you, you know, is there something in you that says, I want to be top five or top ten is good enough or first round, whatever? Um, How do you feel about it?
2: Yeah, I think everyone wants to get uh, drafted as high as they can. Um, You know, it's it's the end goal to just you know, be the highest pick chosen. And, um, but honestly, for me and my family, we've talked about it before. And I think just going to a right program, a right team and organization, that's a good fit for me. I think is more important than, you know, it doesn't matter going, um, number two or number three, um, as long as, as long as I'm going to a program that's going to, you know, benefit me and help me in the long run. And I think, you know, all the, all the NHL teams are, are great organizations, but, uh, you know, certain teams have, um, you know, better better spots for for certain players and um, you know I'd rather go a couple picks lower than uh, to a team that you know um, I fit their play style and, and that really wants me than a, than a team that's a little higher and um, you know I might not make the jump uh, till, till a couple of years and I just want to be able to make an impact in the NHL right away so I think um, going to a team that, that that's a good fit is more important than going as high as possible but but that being said, I still want to be able to to you know, prove myself, and 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 still wanna, I still want to be chosen. In, um, you know, in in the top ten, in the first round, as, as a high pick.
0: Cole Perfetti is my guest. Just a couple more questions for you, Cole, if uh, if you don't mind. Uh, your season this year started way back in August at the Halinki Gretzky Cup, and what a tournament for you! Twelve points in just five games. Getting to play for Canada, I know you had the the invite to, to the World Junior Camp as well. You'll you'll be on the World Junior Team, I'm sure. Uh, when it's all said and done, if you're not you know busy in the n h l but um tell me about getting to to play for Canada in the past and know u seventeens as well I'm sure it never gets tired
2: yeah no it's it's the best feeling ever being able to pull on that uh that canadian sweater and and go represent your country um every kid dreams of it and every every kid goes on the backyard rank during world juniors and um you know throws on their canadian jersey and and just dreams of being able to to wear it and represent that one day and um I've been lucky to you know, play on two teams, U-17s and U-18s. Um, and and this past summer, going to the Holinka, it's kind of the first um, exposure to international best-on-best best play. And, um, you know, it was a real honor to be chosen for that team and, and play a role on that team. Um, it was obviously a great tournament. Um, it was a lot of success. You know, we ended up losing to, the, to Russia in the finals, which was uh, that one stung. But um, definitely using that as motivation for, for further international tournaments to, you know, try and capture that first gold medal. But, um, you know, it's a, it's an honor and it's, it's a great experience every time you, you, you pull on that Canadian Jersey and, um, you know, they do a great job with hockey Canada. They're, they're unbelievable. And, um, you know, they really treat you like pros and um, it's an awesome experience. And um, this summer really, really helped me put my name on the map. You know, I went over there in Europe and I thought I played pretty well. And, um, you know, made a name for myself and you know I was really just uh just honored and and humbled to to be able to 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 play for Team Canada and um you know have an impact uh on that team.
0: Cole I can't let you go without asking you for a, a self-scouting report uh, for people who haven't had a chance to watch you play when they do watch Cole Perfetti what should they expect?
2: Yeah, so I think uh I'm a two-way forward. Um I can play le- I can play the wing or center, but uh I think um you know my hockey IQ and 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 um playmaking ability is what 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 makes me who I am I think I can um you know find the open guy and and you know almost always make the right play um I think that my shot and, and scoring ability are also um one of my stronger assets and I think you know in the offensive zone having that dual threat of passing and scoring I think makes me um who I am and and makes me dangerous I think that's what uh you know um Really makes the player I am, and um, you know I'm not not the biggest, but uh, definitely um, my work ethic and and leadership will definitely um, you know make up for that. I think um, I'm not afraid to go the dirty areas and um, put the puck in the net, but um, yeah, I definitely just think my hockey IQ and, and scoring ability are my two highest uh, assets.
0: Fantastic, Cole. I really enjoyed the conversation. I know you got to get to practice, so uh, I won't keep you any longer. Thanks for making the time today. Good luck.
2: Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate it.
0: That was Cole Perfetti of the Saginaw Spirit, ranked really high for the uh, upcoming 2020 NHL Draft. I I don't think I've seen a ranking that had him outside the top 10, and there are a few uh, that have him uh, top five. So uh, high expectations for Perfetti uh, coming into uh, the the playoffs, and uh, the Saginaw Spirit looking pretty good. He picked up a couple of points. uh, Since we had that conversation, he now sits at 105 uh, for the season thus far. Uh, they're in Hamilton to play against the uh, the Bulldogs uh, on Saturday. Up next uh, here on the Pipeline Show, we'll dip south of the border, look at the playoff picture still unfolding in uh, the Hockey East Conference of the NCAA. Jimmy Connolly from USCHO, always a, a go-to guest when it comes time to talk in college hockey and uh, Hockey East in particular. Uh, he brings us up to speed. Final weekend of play here in hockey east is this weekend lots still to be decided we'll let jimmy tell you all about it next here on the pipeline show coach Dibben could not resist leaving Newhook out there Newhook will wind up out of his own zone he went from newfoundland to victoria last year and here he goes wide around the stars! he does it again
4: Hi, it's Alex Nulok of the Victoria Grizzlies, and you're listening to the Pipeline
3: Show. Passion, talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that, and its players graduate at a ninety percent rate. Jonathan Taves. Backhand
6: scores. Wow, what a
3: goal! Joe Pavelski. Go! And Johnny Gaudreau were stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey.
0: Champions of the college hockey world! You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Right, fights like an old lady. Back on the Pipeline Show, and we're going to look ahead to the uh, playoff picture in Hockey East. Uh, and that, of course, means it's a campus report segment brought to you by College Hockey, Inc. Uh, if you are a player, you have one in your family, and you ha- need to know what you can and can't do to maintain your NCAA eligibility, well, College Hockey, Inc. is a great resource and a good place to start. You can contact Mike Snee or Nate Yule, and they can uh, steer you in the right direction and answer some of the questions that you might have. That's College Hockey, Inc. Uh, all right, let's get to uh, my guest. Of course, is Jimmy Connolly uh, from USTHO. James, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. How are you? Uh, Gee, it's always good to be back. I'm uh, doing well. Doing well as we get to the end of the season. It's just uh, a crazy ending yet again in hockey. It's- I don't know why, but I've never called you James before. Has does anybody does anybody call you James? My mother does when I'm in trouble. <laughs> well, you're not in trouble with me, man. That uh, it's always a treat when you're on the show. Uh, and the hockey's playoff picture right now, I guess it's it's kind of uh, figured out. I, I think basically there's only one scenario. Uh, I mean, there's eight teams that make it in, right? And there's nine that are kind of still eligible to make it in. It's just whether New Hampshire can capture can uh, catch. Uh, northeastern and that kind of looks unlikely would you say
5: i don't know um you know the you know northeastern and bu they're going to play a two game series against one another this weekend so there's nothing easy there and uh, new hampshire they already beat boston college once this year so it's really four teams are playing for the final three spots because uh, providence bu northeastern and new hampshire all have not clinched their spots now Hmm. I feel like Providence should feel pretty safe. Be, you know, they have one game left. They can they get a, a win or a tie in that game. They're in. Uh, they lose it. Then they need New Hampshire to sweep Boston College, uh, and a few other things to happen for them to be knocked out. So they probably feel pretty good, but, uh, and you can maybe say the same thing for BC. or uh, B.U., but if, you know, they get swept by Northeastern, New Hampshire sweeps BC, they're not in. So it, it, I think you're right. It does come down to Northeastern and New Hampshire as the two teams that are probably the most likely. And the way Northeastern has been playing lately, it just has not been good. They obviously this past weekend went up to Vermont, yeah. a team that had not won a single game coming into the weekend. They have been eliminated for the playoffs for almost a month now. And uh, they got swept. Vermont yeah. picks up their first two hockey each wins of the season. So I just don't think, you know, Northeastern's playing without Tyler Madden, that's a pretty big-name player. Uh, who's been injured for about three plus weeks now um so you know they're searching for something and they're going to play a very tough bu opponent but bu is not looking just for you know get earning that playoff spot but bu too can get into a home ice position right now so they're trying to scratch for that so there'll be a lot of hunger in that uh battle of the two dogs this weekend uh, bu and northeastern and it's, it's always a great rivalry and to to put something on the line with it in the last weekend of the season makes it even better.
0: Since the Beanpot victory, Northeastern hasn't really had a lot of success. You talked about that sweep against Vermont. They also got crushed 10-1 against Boston College, and that had to have been a, a statement game for, uh, for uh, the, the Eagles as well. Uh, but what is wrong with Northeastern other than the injury to Tyler Madden?
5: Uh, for some reason, I think that's affecting them a lot. Uh, I watched the first game of that Boston College series. It was a Thursday night uh, game and northeastern lost that one 3-2 and i left that game saying they didn't even lose that game 3-2 it just didn't feel that close bc had kind of given it away a little bit at the end they hadn't you know really completed the the victory they they didn't have a good third period i think jerry york was frustrated and whatever he lit under his whatever fire he lit under his team they just took it to northeastern the next night as you mentioned a 10-1 victory and at that point for Northeastern, you're probably sitting there not just looking your wounds. Like that was one the, Obviously they weren't able to just put it in the rearview mirror and, and move on and say that it was just one bad night. I think they understood that they had just had back to back poor performances. And you know, I think it had carried into Vermont last week. And and listen, Vermont, their players had so much pride on the line. You know, you've got a pretty good senior class there, a big senior class that that was their last weekend at home. You know you're playing your coach's last games because Kevin Sneddon's contract is not going to be renewed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- there was just so much, I think, on the line for Vermont that
0: it became a perfect storm for Northeastern. So their lack of confidence,
5: Vermont's hunger, it gave them two losses in a series that really they should have taken four points.
0: All right, Jimmy, let's look at the, uh, the hockey's playoffs. And right now, is there a team – how many teams don't have to win the playoffs in the conference to qualify for the – uh For the national tournament, Uh, I think when I look at it, what, is there four that are safe? Maybe five? Um, not really. No, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to say. The
5: thing that I think is the most important for every team, Boston College and UMass, Boston College is in, UMass is so close to being in, you might, let's just call them in for, for argument's sake. Um, for UMass Lowell and for Maine, I think that for either of those teams, to get in the necessary thing will be advancing past the quarterfinal round in two losses in a quarterfinal round will affect their RPI enough. They'll drop in the pairwise, mm. most likely be out of the NCAA picture. So, and then you throw in, uh, Providence and Northeastern that have kind of been around that bubble for a lot this year and Northeastern now on, on the wrong side after last weekend. Um, and Providence is definitely need, has a lot to make up. I think that Northeastern could win their quarterfinal series if, you know, assuming they make the playoffs where we've just gone over the fact that they might miss the playoffs. But they could win their quarterfinal series, I believe, and probably uh, advance as well. But now we're talking about three teams that have to win quarterfinal series. Yeah. One of them is probably going to be eliminated. So, what my gu- guess is, there will probably be either three or four hockey east teams in the NCAA field, and the last team out from hockey east will probably be one of the teams that did not advance to the Garden, advance to the conference semifinals.
0: Timmy Connolly from USCHO is my guest. Why isn't Providence better? They've got the two of the top scorers in the in, in all of Division One, um, but I guess listen, we talked about Tyler Madden, and one guy can make such a, a big difference. Is is Providence? Are they a two player team? Is you know as they go as far as those two guys can carry them?
5: Um, I I don't think that that's a, a totally the best assessment because I think that they're a little bit better than two players. But obviously, Tyce Thompson and Jack Dugan have put up some pretty big numbers right now. But they they both I don't want to say calmed a little, but they haven't been as prominent uh, of late. They both are still grabbing some points here and there. Uh, but their first half of the season, each of them was just outstanding. I think I was looking at it as they could be the number one and number two candidates for the Holy Baker Award. Hmm. That has changed. I don't even know if either one of them is really in the picture to make the Holy Hat trick. Maybe uh, Dugan ends up leading the nation in points, and it's hard to ignore that. But, um, you know, he's a playmaker. Tice Thompson's a goal scorer. They don't play on the same line together. I haven't really taken a good look at their line charts over the last couple of games to see if Nate, uh, Lehman has kind of caved a little bit and finally put them together because what they do together on the power play is pretty magical. That said, I just, I can't explain what some of their obstacles have been. They, at times, they don't seem to be playing well. Um I don't know if goaltending is a factor, you know, they've got to transfer goaltender from Harvard, Michael Lackey, and He's got a lot of play this year, and I don't know if that could have been a factor that's worn on him a little. You know, he's, they've had some great goaltenders go through there. Obviously, John Gillies comes to mind as one of the best. Um and it's, it's hard to know if, if, as, as well as Lackey's played at times, if he has that ability to steal games and be that goaltender that, that Nate Lehman needs him to be. So it's a hard question to answer. And I, I don't think even Nate Lehman has the answer at this point. What he's hoping is that his, you know, his team can play a good game this week against Maine, put themselves in better position and maybe advance to the garden. That's that's really their only chance right now is to find a way to advance to the garden, get some confidence back, and maybe just maybe squeak into the NCAA tournament.
0: Well, and the opposite for me, I, Providence for me is a, a bit of a surprise that they're not better or they haven't been better than they are. But Connecticut and Maine are, are surprises. For me, at least, the opposite direction. They're uh, sitting fourth and fifth right now in the conference uh, and doing it kind of without a whole lot of star power. So what is it about those two clubs that uh, led to success this year? How are they getting it done? Maine's
5: got a couple of good forwards. They're probably a a very good two-line team. I don't think they have a lot of depth back to the second line, but Jeremy Swayman and Nett is fantastic. And I don't know if he'll sneak into the Hobie Baker voting um To maybe qualify as a top ten, he probably deserves to because he has carried this team. I I think I looked at it, he, he definitely is one of the top goaltenders in in the country in numbers of saves that he's had to make this season. Um So that always kind of stands out to me when you're yeah you, I, I think it's it's well over a thousand saves he's made that far in his 30, 33 games. Mm. So but he's played every minute for them. I, I believe maybe a couple of mop up minutes and some backup stuff, but he's been really their their go to guy. For Connecticut, I think they're finally getting some of the production that they knew that they could have. They've had, you know, you might, there's a few n- names you'll know on that roster. Alexander Payasov, Ruslan Ish- Ishakov, um, Yakin Kondalik, um, and then a freshman Vladimir first has gotten a lot of ink. But Ben Freeman and Carter Turnbull are the two players I think that Mike Kavanaugh knew that he had in his lineup that if they started to play better, they would be a very dangerous team and, and here they are final weekend of the regular season knowing that if they win a game on friday it's all likelihood they're going to get a home ice position uh
4: that's
5: you know they nukon in their history in hockey east has never gotten home ice in the quarterfinal so this is this is a potential big step the other player that i didn't mention that i probably shouldn't uh, overlook is their goaltender tomas from who is been inconsistent this season but when I looked at his stats over the last uh, month and a half his goals against is down in the low twos and the save percentage is in the 920 so those numbers have improved when you look at his overall season he's over three in goals against and his save percentage below 900 so he's had a really good last month and a half and I think that's what's really propelled UConn up the standings and, and put them in a position that Heading into the last week in the season, they could make some big noise in this conference.
0: Now, the Riverhawks from uh, UMass Lowell, it looks like they're led by a goaltender as well, in Tyler Wall, a senior who's got a 9.30 save percentage this year. When it comes to offense, they only got one guy who scored over 10 goals. That'd be Carl Berglund. Everybody else is well under 10 goals. Uh, So this this is a team, I'm guessing, they're winning a lot of 2-1 games.
5: Yeah, I um, I don't want to get the stat wrong, but I believe their one-goal win, on Saturday night against New Hampshire was their 23rd or 24th one goal game they played this season out of 33. So I think it's 23 out of 33 have been one goal games. Um, they've been in both sides of that, obviously, and they've had a lot of ties in there. I think uh, six ties overall. But that's this is a team that likes to play in the tight games. Maybe they don't like to, but they don't seem to be able to close out games and make them two or three goal games. They've just been in, in one of those situations. And you nailed it right in the head. Tyler Wall has carried this team this year. He is um as strong as he's been in his four years at Lowell. Of course, as a freshman, he set, you know, almost every goaltending record uh in the school's history and you know, was it within an overtime goal of the frozen four. Then he had a slump as a sophomore. Started to rebuild as a junior, but you know another uh, goaltender, in Chris Hernberg, had kind of materialized as a starter, so they ended up splitting more time last year. As a senior, he has taken the ball and run with it, and he has played phenomenal. He's another one that I kind of throw into that category with Swayman. Probably should get some people's look for Hobie Baker. If, you, if you're going to be thinking about who deserves as a, a goaltender from Hockey East that deserves to be in the Hobie Baker race, I think certainly you know, both Swayman and Wall, you can maybe even throw Spencer Knight in there as well. I mean, all three of them have played just fantastic. It's been a very good year for goaltending in Hockey East, uh, but then you look out at Minnesota State and Dryden McKay, and you look at Cornell and McElider and you say, how are these guys not going to be in the Hobie race? So it, it'll be a very tough to, to get any of these goaltenders in in Hockey East for a Hobie Baker nod, but... They all certainly deserve it
0: all right we'll get to the Hobie in a second two more teams I want to touch on though uh, the uh, Minutemen uh, this is a team again they lose guys but they keep plugging away and they keep they keep winning this is the the second best team statistically in, in Hockey East uh, and uh, and tell me about what you when you look at this roster uh, what stands out to you and their legitimate uh, shot to win the conference
5: no doubt and uh, the fact that John Leonard's who has just turned it on in the second half of the year for them. And one of the top scorers in the nation over the last uh, couple of months, he's been a hat trick machine. I believe he has two or three in the last uh, month alone. Uh, Now after 27 goals, he's leading the country. He's, he's a big part of the story. Uh Mitchell Chafee has been excellent, but I don't know what his status is. The last two weekends he's missed with injury, so mm. that's a big part of it. But it's it's also the reload. You know, you mentioned you lose guys like Kale McCarr and Mario Ferraro, and you can't replace those players, but you can put good players in. And you've seen Mark DelGaiso take a really good step forward as a, a sophomore. Uh Jake McLaughlin is a senior. He's been a very good stay-at-home, reliable defense Men who could throw in a few goals here and there. And then Zach Jones came in. He was a highly talented freshman. He's done everything that they expected. He does a great job on their power play. And I think some of the freshman class has also at the forward position just been able to find ways to to produce. And all of that combined, I think, has been very positive for this UMass team. Now, they have been a little less consistent over the last five weeks. Um And, you know, the big part of it is, has been letting slip third period leads. Um, they had one two Fridays ago at UMass Lowell and gave up a tying goal with about six, seven minutes left. And then their goaltender who Matt Murray, who's been solid all year, both of their goaltenders, Philly Lindbergh as well. Um, he just gets caught, not paying attention. He lost his goal stick and he was trying to get it back. Next thing his shot goes in the net, and he wasn't paying attention. Last week against the uh, Yukon, uh, UMass had a two goal lead with 91 seconds left in lost. So, uh, they, they, they've both Saturday nights. They've had good responses and find, found ways to win on the back end of each of those two series. But you do worry that this team hasn't played its best hockey for the last six weeks. That is one thing that, as you know, in the playoffs, that can catch up with
0: you. Do you go with two goalies, uh, the two goalie system in the playoffs, or do you think they'll uh, uh, pick one guy and kind of ride them?
5: That's a really good question. I mean, I think last year they, they rode Lindbergh a little bit more yeah. uh, than Murray. Uh, this year Murray kind of has the better numbers, but you know, the, the one thing I can say about Greg Carvel is he has very good instincts about his goaltenders. He also is a quick hook and he's a, a coach that if he sees, he loves having the two goaltenders because if he sees anything that just looks out of place for a goaltender in the first 15 minutes of the game, boom, pull him and, and put somebody else in. Um, and that, that he's, he's done that recently in a, the Lowell game was one of them. He pulled Lindbergh. Despite the fact that it was a 1-1 game, he pulled Lindbergh because he had let his first two shots in. One goal was disallowed, but he didn't care. He didn't think Lindbergh looked good. Murray went in and, and, you know, finished out the game and it looked like a brilliant move until they ended up losing that game. But, um, still, I, I don't, I don't feel like he wants to dedicate himself to one goaltender. I know that's usually the formula for success in a playoff, but, I just don't feel like that's Greg Carville's personality. He doesn't feel the need to do that. Let's put it that way. All
0: right. The, other, the last team to talk about is Boston College. They are the, uh, the top team right now uh, in the conference, and uh, they seem to be clicking down the stretch here for sure. Uh, guys have really turned it on. Alex Newhook, now the uh, top freshman in, in scoring in the country, and uh, Matt Bowley is having a terrific – well, the last month he's been on fire. Uh, for the uh, for the Eagles, they seem to be getting hot at the right time of year. How do you assess the play of the the uh, the Eagles right now?
5: Yeah, it's very much a a typical Jerry York team from like the 2008 through 2012 era where they won three national championships, and every year you got to this time of year and they were playing well and they were getting past the quarterfinals, they were getting to the ground, they were winning hockey championships, they were getting to pros and fours. This is what Jerry York, I think, is almost accustomed, uh, seeing some of his players have good seasons and you can, you look at his, uh, older players like, uh, Greco and, uh, Julius Matula and David Cotton. But then you have some of those freshmen. You just mentioned Matt Boldy, Alex Newhook, I believe is the leading scorer in the month of February for the uh, entire nation. Um, and then back end, you've got a good goaltender. That's always been part of the BC formula and Spencer Knight, uh, and came in highly touted he's been everything that they thought he would be. Twenty two wins at this point and a goals against average under two. I mean he he'll be up for a lot of awards, obviously probably gets in the Richter conversation, probably gets in the uh oh, I'm sorry, he gets in the Hobie conversation, probably gets in the Richter conversation. Uh might even be Rookie of the Year. Although I think Newhook is now making it a much tighter race for Rookie of the Year. I think Spencer Knight had my vote until a month ago and right now it feels like it's Alex Newhook.
0: Do you think those guys are both one and done? Uh probably. Yeah. Uh, maybe not maybe not night
5: just because of the fact that I think Boldtender developed just a tiny bit slower but um I think that Newhook has the skill you know if, if he wants to go he's going to have the opportunity. Uh I think those are the only two I don't think that you have to worry about Boldy despite the fact that he's had a good second half and Mike Hardman's really good too but you know I think that Newhook has opened so many eyes of late that it'd be hard to think of him sticking around. I just don't know about Knight. You know, he was really highly, you know, touted, highly drafted, you know, in terms of where a teams going to spend on a uh, on a goaltender. Um I think that that could be what maybe will be the influence. Um but I I don't know. I still think that goaltenders if they go it's not the not the right move because the odds are that Spencer Knight will spend a season or two in the AHL, you might as well just spend them in college.
0: What's changed for Matt Boldy? He scored on opening night, got his second goal of the year on January 11th, and then February 10th, everything started to click for him. And now he's, he had three or four three-point games uh, over the last month. What's changed?
5: Well, I think that a lot of it's confidence, you know, and and we talk about that so often with with freshmen is that you, you, you just, have to have that confidence have to have that head on your shoulders that knows that going into a game you can make a difference and the opportunity as well and i think he's he's played alongside new hook for most of this time and that's a big part of it when new hooks hot so is Goldie and, and the two of them have really been explosive um you know and, and just I, I really think it's just the ability to to have that confidence have that opportunity jerry york you know really liked him coming into this season so i think he wanted to see him break out and uh I think it is, uh, they've been mostly playing as kind of a, a three-man combo there with with um, Hardman at times. So on all-freshman lines, sometimes you just put those talented freshmen out together. And, you know, you start them with some seniors in October and November and December. Listen, if they don't gel in those situations, put them all together, and then maybe sometimes the reckless abandon of, of three really talented players can come together, and that's certainly what has happened for Boston College.
0: Well, with the way the Eagles have been playing and some of the other teams have kind of been uh, average here the last little bit, is it hard to not pick Boston College as the team that will win the conference?
5: Um, Yeah, I mean, the, the tournament is, is is uh funny sometimes. Just because once you get to the Garden, it's that single elimination. Mm-hmm. Um, the best of the three series, you know, typically the better team will prevail in a three-game series. But, you know, I look at some teams that have beat Boston College this year, New Hampshire being one of them, Lowell being one that you know went into their building and beat them. Um, you know, teams have given them tough series. I know Northeastern obviously uh, got by them at one point. You know, I, I I look at the one and done scenario just makes it so difficult, and that that's the one factor that that kind of variable that I, I think makes it hard to really handicap any of these league tournaments, but. Hockey East. Where this year, this is true parity. I mean, you're talking about three weeks ago. You had nine teams that were separated by four points in the standings, mm. and this is a you know a league that gives two points for a win. So it, it was it's it's just too tight of a year to just you know automatically hand them the trophy. Maybe you could say that they're favorites, but I think there's plenty of talent out there that in a single game at the Garden they steal it. I mean, we th- we saw how dominant UMass was last year. And they got into the semifinal against, I believe it was BC. And suddenly that dominance went away really quickly. And they were, you know, they were sitting out on the final Saturday and, and you know, thinking about where they were playing in the NCAA regional instead of playing for a championship. So it, it's, you could be dominant in this league. And, yes, I, I know there's been some, some inconsistencies of teams of late, but I think that that's more about the parity of the league. And uh, it, it, it should be a really competitive postseason tournament.
0: Jimmy when does the uh, the Hobie Baker list get narrowed down to ten and and then the uh the final hattrick uh,
5: it should be that the final ten will be the uh Thursday of semifinal weekend so I'm just looking at my calendar that would be the uh nineteenth of March usually in the morning they've been announcing it uh so that should be your final ten uh then uh, I'm on the committee this year the vote happens the Monday after the NCAA regional so that would be uh, the 30th of March and then usually two days later than that, the Wednesday, which I think is April 1st today, uh, this year, April Fool's Day. Uh, hopefully nobody's playing any pranks, but that's when you get the, the Hobie hat trick announced. Um, and then obviously it's presented at the Frozen Four, but, uh, it's getting late early for anybody that's trying to make a Hobie run. And we've seen a lot of them in the second half here. Um, but you know, I think, I think most of the coaches probably have their minds made up it's of course the first round of voting is the 60 coaches plus a fan vote which counts for one vote um so it's really the 60 coaches um i think that that you know when we really look at it that most of the minds are made up at this point
0: all right well jimmy listen i really appreciate your time as always great setup for the uh, playoffs in hockey east uh i know i will be calling you again before the frozen four i'd love to talk to you it's always a pleasure g oh jimmy I've been looking forward to using that for a long time and uh, finally decided to. Uh, that's from a Van Halen's song, uh, Top Jimmy, uh, from uh, what was it, 1984. That That's the uh, the name of the CD or the album, uh, not the year it came out. It actually came out in 83. Go figure. Anyway, Jimmy Connolly from USCHO, always uh, fantastic when he's on the program, just a wealth of information and breaks it down uh, for dummies like me so that I can easily understand and follow along. Uh, casual hockey fans, I think, that don't necessarily follow... College hockey uh, will appreciate the way Jimmy can set things up as well. So always great to chat with him. Uh, coming up next, we're going to head to the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. We haven't had a lot of uh, Q content on the show here over the last month or so. Well, Mike Sanderson, voice of the Saint John Sea Dogs, writer with McKean's Hockey, uh, he's going to change that and uh, tell us what we've been missing and um, get us set up for the uh, the playoff push in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. That is next here on the Pipeline Show.
1: Up comes Trankovic. He's got speed. Trankovic breakaway to the backhand. Scores!
2: Max Trankovic is second of the season, and it's 2 1. I'm Maxim Trankovic of the St. John Sea Dogs, and this is the Pipeline Show.
6: There's a lot of people with disabilities that can't just go out and find a job. So we set out to create a business to fill those needs, one stick at a time.
0: this is the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. We're going to uh, head to the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League again. We haven't uh, talked about the queue for a little while here uh, on the show, so I'm out of the loop. So i got to get somebody who is in the loop to uh, bring me up to speed, and that, of course, is Mike Sanderson, longtime broadcaster in the uh, Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. Mike, welcome back to the show. How are things?
1: Always my pleasure. Uh, we're getting over a little bit of cold and sickness, as we always do because the temperature changes, but uh, the stretch runs are <laughs> a- coming.
0: All right, well, I appreciate uh, you being well enough uh, to, to talk about the queue. And there are some things we, w- we want to touch on, the, you know, the whole uh, debate about fighting in the, in the queue. We'll get to that in a bit. But maybe let's start with uh, the race, getting down to the playoffs and uh, some interesting uh, scenarios uh, coming out of the queue right now. And, I mean, there are two teams who are absolutely on fire. One of them uh, I know you've been pretty close to over the last number of years, the Moncton Wildcats, who are riding a 20 and one streak right now. Did you foresee this coming? I mean, at the trade deadline, they were one of the teams that were really active and loaded up. But I don't think anybody ever expects to see a a winning streak quite like this.
1: Yeah, I don't know ever if you expect a winning streak of that magnitude. Uh, You you don't want to expect a winning streak of that magnitude. Uh, I think you want to be pleasantly surprised when that kind of a thing happens. Uh, I think that no one's necessarily surprised at the success of Uh, that the Wildcats are seeing, in particular in the second half of the year. They haven't lost a game in regulation since January the 11th. Um, I think that the moves that they made at Christmas uh, were to solidify a pretty good team that was already there, Uh, getting Jeremy McKenna back early in the can really help them as well. Getting players like Bo Grew and Jared McIsaac and uh, Jacob Fortier, uh, or uh, Gabriel Fortier, excuse me, uh, really helped solidify their veteran core that was there and, uh, of course, adding to players like Olivier Rodrigue and Jacob Peltier and, and, and the list goes on. You know, we talked at the start of the season, Gee, in the season preview that uh, the Wildcats might be the most desperate team. Uh, in order to add and uh, make do with this season, just because of the awful year that they had three years ago, and uh, they certainly pushed forward with uh, massive improvements and uh, made their team a whole lot better at Christmas, and certainly they're they're feeling the fruits of that uh, of that labor, and uh, they are in nearly unstoppable team right now heading into the playoffs.
0: Yeah, they they have a pretty good cushion atop the Eastern Conference standing right now. Shakudami's next, but they're what uh, I'm doing math uh, seven points behind. Uh, right now, and then there's an even bigger gap down to Ramuski at three. Uh, and as we stand right now, the the playoffs would basically set up as one v eight in uh, in both conferences. Correct?
1: That is correct. And and it's amazing how the playoffs this year kind of set up very similar to the way the playoffs set up last year where last year we had the Ruin-Aranda Huskies that ran away with the league with 59 wins in the West and other than Drummondville there really wasn't a lot of competition in the West uh, in the West this season it's been Sherbrooke and then everybody else so uh, much like last year there's only really one or two contending teams out West and in the East it's been a dogfight and that's the same thing this year as well with Moncton Chicoutimi, Rimouski and then Cape Breton inserting themselves in that top four and home ice has been wrapped up in the East for at least three weeks now uh, if you look at the top of those standings. Now the bottom half they're starting to clinch as well with uh, St. John clinching a couple of days ago and Charlottetown clinched not too long ago. Uh, There's not many playoff spots left in the East. In the West, it's been much closer two through eight uh, which is really surprising and some teams that if you would have looked at any other season, maybe if it was the old one versus sixteen playoff format, you might have seen some of those teams sell, but because they were in the position they were in looking at Drummondville and Ruin Aranda and uh you know, Valdor even who just uh fired their coach last week in an interesting story. Um teams like that didn't want to sell off as much as maybe they could have. Uh, just in case they push themselves up into a home ice advantage situation in the first round, maybe win a playoff round and get some extra playoff home gate uh, receipts uh, to their coffers. So, uh, again, the same thing as it was last year and something that I think the league's going to revisit uh, in the summer and maybe as early as next season, perhaps changing this playoff format. But, you know, you look at the way that the, the cycles go and the way that everything works that way, uh, the East, again, is a much more competitive conference, especially at the top end, and you know Moncton, Shakudami, Ramuski, and uh, Cape Breton certainly hold a lot of the cards with home ice advantage.
0: Well, I'll get to Sherbrooke in a second because they've been the top team in in the league basically, almost wire to wire, I think. But you mentioned the uh, coaching change with Valdor. The Forer—they're not out of the. It's not out of the question that they could still get home ice advantage in the first round. Why would they fire the
1: coach? Uh, That's a really good question. If you ask Pascal Realm, the former coach, I I don't know if he has an answer for you. He found out on social media about a week ago wow. uh, that he was let go. He woke up and read it on social media, and uh, before the team could tell him. And you know, and it's not the first time we've seen that happen in the queue, and it won't be the last. But it's always surprising when you know teams just kind of forget to let the guy know that they were letting him go before everyone else knew. You know what I mean? It's just an odd situation. He had a few words on the way out uh, saying that if uh, the GM there, Pascal Daou. Uh, saying that uh, if Dow expected that team to be in 4th or 5th, then he should have made more moves to give himself more talent. Um, and he was a little bit scathing on the way out. And I don't really blame him. When you wake up and you find out your job's gone from social media, that's, that would yeah. make anybody a little bit angry. Um, but they've replaced him with Danielle Renault who was coaching in uh, Shewinigan up until about a month ago, and uh, Shewinigan replaced him with Gordy Doyers. So uh, lots of uh, coach shuffling going on in that Western Conference regardless.
0: Wow, and right before the playoffs—that's an uh, unusual timing. We saw it out here with, though with the uh, Kelowna Rockets too, hosting the Memorial Cup and gassed their coach uh, about ten days ago uh, as well. All right, let's get to Sherbrooke and uh, the the Phoenix. Obviously, they've got uh, they've got it going. Uh, but what is it about them that has made them so dominant for the most part? And can anybody outside of maybe Moncton give them a challenge? Anybody else?
1: I think that uh, Moncton's definitely the biggest challenger to take on Sherbrooke. I don't know if there's a team in the West that can necessarily handle them. And I think Sherbrooke this year, uh, we said it about Rouen last year, but that ended up not being a factor. Rouen was the real deal. Sherbrooke didn't make a ton of moves at the mid-season training period because they also expect to get many of their players back next year. Um, so they're not just looking for this year. They're looking for this year and next year. And you look at uh, the work that uh, first-rounder Sam Poulin's put together, uh, Pittsburgh Penguin prospect, and he's missed some time. Uh, with that team but one thing that the Phoenix do really really well is they're excellent in transition and they're very fast with the puck and uh, that can pay dividends and that's a playoff type of game you know if you can uh, get the puck and go north with it and you can move it really quickly uh, that can really work to your advantage and for the Sherbrooke Phoenix that has definitely worked to their advantage this season whether it's been a number of top prospects or whether it's whoever's in the lineup every night they did pick up a couple of defensemen in Bolduc and uh, Bernard uh, on the back end who really will help them out this season um, but they didn't have to do a a whole lot to improve themselves and again you know looking at this year and next year they'll get Samuel Hovai back next year who's their goaltender who's been on fire all year long he's been tremendous uh, you look at Sam Poulain who you know, it's a 50-50, he might be back in the queue again next year, so, you know, you've got that's your two biggest players coming into next season, and you know you've got to handle on both of them, unfortunately the rest of your top line is going to be going pro, because they're both 20, but, you know, you can replace that with some trades, and if you know you're going for it next year you can make moves to move some young players at that point, but, you know, for the Sherbrooke Phoenix and Jocelyn Tebow, they didn't see the urgency to get better this year for the sake of collapsing next year, and I think that you see the way that that team is playing, and I think you can understand why. They can be just as good next season. And uh, they've got a style of play that really works uh, in all facets, in all, in all times of the year, uh, be it regular season or be it playoffs. They're a, a relatively physical team, uh, but they don't shy away from the physical play and they go to the rough areas, especially uh, San paulin who is their uh, top-line center. He has missed some time, but he had an excellent playoff last year, and there's no reason not to expect that to continue. Um, I put them right in with the other contenders. I think that a team like Shakurami or Ramuski could give them a run for their money. I think that Sherbrooke's a better team than both of them, but uh, uh, certainly uh, we've seen a number of upsets in the queue, and it wouldn't surprise me if a few happen this year either.
0: I have been butchering that goaltender's name all season. How do you pronounce the goalie's name in Sherbrooke?
1: Samuel Levi. Levi.
0: Okay, yeah. I, I, my face is red because I have been destroying that name uh, all season long. Uh, well, you can
1: take comfort in that one. That one's straight from the goaltender himself.
0: All right, perfect. Uh, we've gone this long in the conversation and haven't mentioned the name Alexi Lafreniere. This is a guy who could steal a series, but he's in that same conference uh, with with uh, the Moncton Wildcats. Uh, where do you see that um, Ramouski team going this year? I mean, they're, they're third right now in the conference, but so much top-end talent. Could they surprise?
1: And top-end talent really is the biggest name when you talk about the Ramoski Oshinik almost to their detriment. If you look at the way that that their team is set up, Zach bolduk has been great as another rookie uh, behind that top line, but really the Oshinik go where that top line goes, and that's Alexi Lafrenia, Cedric Paré, and Dimitri Uh Behind those three, and in the playoffs, they're going to get 35 minutes. Behind those three, they've got Nicolas Gay, who's a pretty good offensive player. Baldic's been really good as a rookie, but beyond that, they don't have anybody who can score. So the toughest part with Ramouski is going to be, what do you do with those other 25 minutes when Lafrenha is not on the ice, when Paré is not on the ice, when Zavgorodnia is not on the ice. Uh, defensively, they've improved themselves quite a bit by getting Justin Belgeron on the back end, and they do add... To a pretty decent defensive core, a bit younger, but Chris Ennis is pretty good. Isaac Belleville has been an excellent rookie at pushing the puck up forward. He's been great on the power play. Um, and in goal, Creed Jones has been excellent in the absence of Colton Ellis. And now Ellis is back and healthy again. So they've got two great goaltenders. They're going to have to pick which one they want to ride. But uh, in the terms of Rimouski, I think of the top four in the East. They might be the most vulnerable, and it's just because of the time when the Lafreniere line is not on the ice. Uh, mm-hmm. They're going to have to make plays happen. Once that Lafayette line's on the ice, that's it's the best line in the queue. But beyond that is where Ramouski might have some trouble. All right, well, we'll watch
0: for that. Mike, I wanted to get to that story we were talking about uh, briefly uh, with the, the whole fighting scenario in the queue, and it was up for debate, and you were telling me it's been pushed to the summer. Uh, what's the latest that you're hearing in that regard?
1: Well, I know that there was a there was a lot of pushback uh, to the prospect of uh, the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League banning fighting for a couple of reasons. Of course, there is there is the the old school mentality. Well, you can't ban fighting. It's been it's been a part of the game since the game has existed. Um, there's that argument. There is also the idea that you know how much deviation of the rules between the three leagues can you really let happen right. uh and it kind of the the Q just kind of came out and said oh we're going to discuss it in the board of governors uh meeting or in in the in the league meeting and and kind of really quickly just kind of introduced it and then said yeah we're going to talk about it and then it just kind of got pushed off you know it, they didn't really bring it forward necessarily with the idea of bringing a ton of research or something that they've they've looked at you know, at, uh, specifically from their point of view, uh, for quite a long time, it's, I don't know necessarily if it was leaked or if the league announced that they were going to talk about it, but it was something that showed up on the agenda and, uh, it ended up getting pushed, uh, pushed beyond. And there, there are two different ways to look at it. I know, you know, as someone who's never played the game at a high level in my position, you know, I'm not necessarily in a position to talk about, you know, the momentum changes and the, and the, uh, the, entirety of policing in hockey because i've never been in that position i don't consider myself to be someone who can talk with any authority about that role you pull players players overwhelmingly support fighting at least at the professional level uh, at the junior level certainly you know 16 year olds fighting 20 year olds uh, is always a worry at the back of many people's minds and not only from an insurance perspective but from an injury perspective from a physical perspective you know that there's such a difference between a 16 year old and a 20 year old in a junior league um, it, And and just in general, you know, that that if you have them fighting each other, you know, what what happens there? And we've certainly seen situations where injury has happened, where, you know, a 16-year-old and a 20-year-old have gone to battle physically um, in a number of different scenarios. So I can see both sides of it. Certainly from the Q's perspective, they want to make themselves a very welcoming league, a very accommodating league uh, for players who may necessarily be considering the U.S. college route where, you know, fighting is is. Banned for the sake of a better term, um, you know. And the Q wrote, "It's it's a five minute penalty." So technically, yeah, you know, it's it's banned in that in that case. But yeah. you know, it's 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 a different perspective from the way to look at it. And the Q is looking at it from a marketing spot. You know, they're saying, "Hey, if we can draw some more players uh, to want to join our league, if we have to do what we have to do and get some more parents on board, maybe it is what it is. It is 2020. You know, we know more realities of CTE. We know more realities of of what you know." pummeling a growing brain can can do and have the long-term impacts that, that it does. And uh, I think certainly more study uh, is necessary uh, in that avenue. Um, but uh, the league's going to look at it in the summer, and we'll see what happens from there. I know uh, in some ways it's kind of like keeping the Band-Aid on, Um, I think, and we saw with Johnny Boychuk this week, you know, in the case of wearing visors, and uh, he getting clipped in the face by a skate, and how long now the question becomes, is everybody going to be wearing full cages, you know, from that perspective as well is this a case of is it a matter of time and should we rip the band-aid off now or is it something that is it is it kicking a can down the road or is it something that we feel we can keep as a traditional part and aspect of the sport and there's a lot of different ways you can really look at it and the queue is going to instead of looking at it now looking at it in august at the earliest
0: yeah i would say fighting has been on a steady decline for the last number of years but as mm-hmm. a, from a fan perspective and i'm like you as a broadcaster you know i i don't have the his, the the background to suggest whether there's a place for it anymore or not but uh, you know calling a game and a fight breaks out the fans definitely get up for it so it's it's still of interest to I think most general fans personally I wouldn't miss it if if fighting was gone and, and I agree with you I think uh, we kind of have to take a look at the long-term uh, effects and both benefits and negative effects uh, of fighting in the game I, I just it seems to me an easy solution would be if you get in a fight, maybe there's a game or two-game suspension, and that would probably curtail it enough where fighting would even drop much more significantly than it already has. Uh, and you, you fight in college hockey, you're done for a game as well.
1: Yeah, and I, and I would agree with that, and I think that that's not an uncommon solution to that look. I know the Q and the OHL and other leagues have flirted with the idea, well, if you fight in the last five minutes or staged fighting or all that, that it comes with an extra uh, punitive element to it. I uh, wouldn't be surprised by that. If you look at the fighting numbers in the Q in particular, and I know I do when I prep for every broadcast because I want to know the fighting numbers for each team in case fights happen, and really it has been in case fights happen because fights are down, and they're down by... a quite a wide margin uh some teams have gone from having 35 or 40 fights two years ago to having 25 last year to having 12 this year you know and, and we're through most of the year, so those numbers are somewhat comparable so we're talking about a dramatic drop uh in fights per game in just in the regular season for for a lot of teams you know some teams in the queue used to lead used to lead by fighting majors with you know 45 or 50 and now last year the lead i think it was under 30 you know and this year the leads around the same as well. So, you know, it, it's in some ways a natural progression as well that, you know, the aggression and the physicality is kind of leaving our game a little bit. And the fighting aspect of it is leaving our game, and I think that that's an accurate thing to say. You know, so that brings another question of do we necessarily have to do anything to make fighting drop or will it continue its natural progression?
0: I just pulled up the stats. The leading penalty guy in the, the queue right now is Thomas Karan or Karen. Uh, with the uh, rampart 115 penalty minutes that that's it mm-hmm. that i mean we're gone are the days where a guy has 300
1: penalty minutes yeah in the queue there were four and five hundred minutes it seemed every year 15 years ago Yeah.
0: so i think it's on its way out anyway but we could probably speed that up and and again i wouldn't miss it if it's gone but i'm not on the ice so there who knows there could be a side effects without fighting that we don't foresee right now that might be just as bad or even worse
1: Exactly, and that's what that's why the Q can't be they can't be speedy in choosing what they do with this. You have to take a very pragmatic approach uh, when you look into uh, banning fighting or making fighting more punitive. Or what decision you make is that what are the opposite? You know what is the opposite position on that, and what and what would happen? You know if this. Than that, Right. So if fighting ends up being more punitive and it ends up being a position where players find it less of an advantage to fight, well, what's the alternative? You know, because we've all seen games where, you know, it, the the passion and the anger gets to a bottling point and a boiling point. And, you know, what what happens then? You know, is it going to be a cheap shot? Is it going to be a stick swinging incident? Is it going to be just a bunch of name calling? What is it? And we don't really know because we are we haven't been in that situation yeah. yet. So that's another angle that we all have to look at.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I don't know that one of the three leagues can make this change without the other two following suit. So maybe this is a more of a CHL question uh, than it is just for the mm-hmm. Q. But. Uh, Mike as always great stuff Uh, thanks for your time and uh, we'll chat again I'm sure once the playoffs uh, get going
1: absolutely always my pleasure
0: that's the voice of the St. John Sea Dogs, Mike Sanderson also a writer with McKean's Hockey and uh, again once again knocking it out of the park here on the Pipeline show I love a bilingual guy who can pronounce all the French names just so uh, easily and effortlessly and uh, and I try to say a, a French name and even though I have a French background, I'm embarrassed to say I don't speak French, uh, well enough to say that I speak French, but I just butcher the names, and uh, just there's something about a French name pronounced by a French-speaking person uh, just makes it so much better. So I appreciate Mike for that, and for uh, all the other information that he brings to the show every time that he's on the program. Schedule in the, uh, the queue this weekend, well, for the uh, two main teams, and really, Jimmy, it's almost a two-team race now, but... Uh, the Moncton Wildcats, they are uh, at home on uh, Saturday. They don't play tonight. But can they keep the streak going? They'll do it. If they do, they'll do it against Patrick Waugh and the Quebec Rempart. Meanwhile, Sherbrooke is at home tonight, Friday night, against Val d'Or. And then uh, on the road in Ottawa uh, to play the uh, Gatineau Olympique. I guess they're in Gatineau, Quebec, but across the river from Ottawa. Uh, Moncton also playing on Sunday. So back-to-backs for both teams, but not 3-3 three and three for either Moncton will host a Drummondville on a Sunday afternoon. If you're a follower of the queue, let me know, of those two teams, is there a favorite right now, or does it go right down to the wire? Can you see that being a six- or seven-game series with uh, a lot of overtime? You let me know. You can hit me up on Twitter, at TPS underscore Gee. All right, we had a 2020 Draft Spotlight segment. To start the show, we're going to have one in the next segment as well. Another guy who's projected to go in the first round, getting a lot of those guys on the show here lately, uh, Caden Gooley, defenseman with the Prince Albert Raiders. First rounder, late first round. I've seen him in the uh, ranked in the teens. I've also seen some uh, publications that have him just outside the first round. So I guess he's not a lock to go in the top 31. But uh, Caden Gooley following in the footsteps of his older brother with the uh, Prince Albert Raiders and uh, trying to help the defending champs get back to uh, repeat and defend that crown. Let's get to know Caden Gooley next here on the pipeline show
3: minnesota selects as the first pick in the 1988 entry draft
0: from prince albert mike medano hey this is former prince albert Raider mike medano
3: and you're listening to the pipeline show
2: go raiders go go raiders go the green white and gold theme is go raiders go we take on the rock us and welcome the tacos but the song in prince albert is go
6: raiders go Nothing compares to the smile on a child's face after their wish has been granted. The Rainbow Society of Alberta is dedicated to granting wishes throughout the province to children who have been diagnosed with a life-threatening or severe chronic medical illness. And you can help too. View the wishes, refer a child, and donate at rainbowsociety.ab.ca or get involved as a volunteer. Having a wish come true fills a child's heart with hope and happiness. Visit rainbowsociety.ab.ca today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Now that is a man who has eaten a
5: lot of beef.
0: Back on The Pipeline Show, we had a 2020 draft spotlight earlier in the episode, and uh, we have another one this segment. And uh, my guest is from the WHL, which makes it an In the Dub segment. Those, of course, brought to you by Dubnetwork.ca. You can stay up to date on everything happening around the Western Hockey League by bookmarking Dubnetwork.ca, and you can subscribe to get your daily dose of the Dub, it gets emailed to you. A little summary of the uh, the previous day's events around the league. You don't even have to search for it. Uh, dubnetwork.ca. My guest today, one of the uh, top-ranked players out of the Western Hockey League for the 2020 NHL Draft, defenseman with the uh, Prince Albert Raiders, Caden Gooley. Welcome to the program, Caden. How are you? Not too bad. Yourself? I'm doing well. Uh, your team is uh, playing some pretty good hockey right now, uh, riding a three-game winning streak, and I believe... Uh you got seven in your past ten. Uh so uh, I are looking pretty good right now for the Raiders.
4: Yeah, no, we're doing well. Um we're coming down to the uh last few games of the season and uh still fighting for home Ice. There's teams right behind us, so um you know we're we're still playing every game. Uh every game means something right now. So um we're just trying to buckle down for the the last few games here and uh Try to get that home ice.
0: Well, you got a five-point lead over Brandon right now, and there's only seven games left. You, you still feel like a, a little bit like you're uh, looking over your shoulder and, and making sure you have enough distance between you and them.
4: Yeah, for sure. I mean, they're they're a really good team. Um, they uh, they kind of came out of nowhere, so um, they're playing good hockey right now. And we got two games coming up this weekend against them, so um, those are two really big games for us. And um, you yeah, know, they're they're a good team, so um, we're still uh, trying to trying to stay ahead of them.
0: All right, well, massive, uh, massive weekend series against uh, Brandon this weekend. I know you close out the season against Saskatoon, a pretty good rivalry uh, between your two clubs as well. Uh, if the playoffs started tomorrow, you'd go up against the Calgary Hitmen. Uh, what's the season series like between your two clubs?
4: Um, I think it's two-two right now. Mm. Um, we played them uh, last game; they won that one. Um, but uh, yeah, know, they're a really good team. They uh, they got uh, good depth everyone on their on their team can play so um you know we we only see him four times a year but um we feel like uh there's been two games we've done well and the other two we haven't so um i think just consistency against that team is is what we need to to beat them in the first round
0: caden for you personally a 40 points uh, as we're speaking right now this show will come out in a couple of days but uh 40 points this year i have to think you're pretty happy with that it's way past the numbers you had last season as a rookie in the league and i think that's to be expecting that you improve on that. But did you think you'd have this much production at this stage of the season?
4: Yeah, I don't know. I, I just kinda came into the year with, with no really expectations. I didn't really know how the year was, was gonna go. I didn't know how much I was going to play or or anything like that. But uh you know I it's nice to, to get production but um no, it's not really what I look for. I'd rather play play well and and get no points and than, than have a bad game and somehow get two points. So um hmm. I mean, It's obviously nice to get that kind of production, but uh, it's not really what, I, what I'm looking for as, as a person, as a player.
0: Caden Gooley is my guest, defenseman with the uh, Prince Albert Raiders. and I mentioned to you, Caden, before we started that uh, the audience, uh, not all WHL fans are listening to this. So uh, for the benefit of the audience who hasn't had a chance to watch you play and, and don't really know who you are just yet, but certainly will need to uh, when it comes to the NHL draft, uh, let's get a bit of background. Where are you from?
4: Uh, Short Park, Alberta.
0: And uh, I'm in Edmonton or the Edmonton area out in Sturgeon County, so uh, I know the area pretty well. When you first got into hockey, do you remember how old you were?
4: Uh, I was probably about four. I I was playing, I started off hockey for, or in uh, Grand Prairie. I lived there for about 10 years. Hmm. And then now we moved down to Short Park, but um, yeah, probably about four.
0: And uh, I think most people will know your older brother, Brendan, who was also a former Raider. We'll get to him in a bit. But uh, as a younger brother myself, I know when I was a kid, I just wanted to do whatever my older brother was doing. Was that part of yeah. your interest in hockey, was was following along in Brendan's uh, footsteps and wanting to to do what he did?
4: Yeah, for sure. I mean, he uh, he didn't start hockey until he was about six or seven, I think. He started a little bit late. and He started off as a goalie. Hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I think just watching him play and then seeing him uh, – Seeing him play and just obviously, like you said, um, wanted to do what your older brother did. So I played hockey and, I don't know, I ended up liking it. Um, yeah, I know he's, he's probably the biggest reason why I started playing.
0: Take me back to Bantam draft day and, and what that was uh, like for you. First overall pick, so it's not like you had to wait around very long. But I've talked to some of the other guys who might have been in your draft class uh, and said they were in Philadelphia at, at a tournament. Uh, was it the same?
4: No, I, I didn't go over that tournament, but uh, I know there's there's a few guys I know. Um, big neighbors from on Edmonton. He, he's at that tournament and he had a game while the draft was going on. And, uh, his dad like pointed at him and told him when he, where he went. So that's kind of a funny story, but you know, I was in school first period just kind of watching my phone and saw it happen.
0: Uh, well, and you didn't have to wait very long. I know expectations were that you would be one of the first guys, if not the first guy taken. So was it a surprise to you?
4: Um, I mean, I don't know if it's a, I guess a little bit of a surprise, but it just kind of, you don't really know where you're going to go. I mean, it's, it's a draft and it just kind of, um, depends what the team wants and what the team needs, but, uh, maybe a little bit of a surprise, but, um, I was hoping to go to PA, obviously, since Brendan played there and, um, I, I was kind of familiar with the town and the team. So, um, yeah, no, it, it was good that it worked out like that.
0: Yeah. It seems like a natural fit that the, the Raiders would have selected you as well. Now, um, Brendan went third overall in his year and, he never had as many points uh, in his draft season as, as you have uh, this year, so uh, pretty safe to say uh, you're better than he is. Oh, I don't know. <laughs>
4: I think I'll say that he's better than me right now. He's at a higher level and more experienced, so I'd say he's better. But um, yeah, I don't know. Uh,
0: well, your team obviously is uh, defending champs uh, this year. A lot. Of, I mean, you got a target on your back every every night. Everyone's trying to knock off the the defending champs. So hard to repeat. But I remember speaking with uh, Mark Abshai earlier in the season, or. Uh, might have been Dale Hunt. Just about, you know what? Why not you guys, uh, to be, uh, to, to repeat this year? And that, that's gotta be the mindset going in. How do you stay that hungry though, having won it already, uh, that winning it a second time is, is still the, the, the achievable goal?
4: Yeah, I think it's just, winning is, is just something that you can never get sick of. Um, just getting a, getting a taste of it last year and at such a high level, it's, it's something that, that never gets old and, um, we have the guys that uh, that we think we can do it again, and we can repeat. And um, we have a few returning guys from last year that that are trying to lead the way. And um, we just want the the younger guys and the newer guys to get a taste of that because it, it's uh it's the best feeling in the world and something that you can never get sick
0: of. Well, sir, so you, you can't replace the experience that uh, that your group gained last year, going that deep and winning it all. So you know what it takes. How is this year's team different than last year's?
4: Um, I think just, just a little bit younger. Um, we got a little bit of a younger group this year and um that's that's probably about it. I think um guys have the same mentality and guys wanna win and um they're doing a, a good job at uh at kind of buying into our to our team mentality and, and our culture. So um I think just, just the age is the only thing that's really different about our team this year.
0: Caden, okay, now uh, let's talk about the draft. Uh and, and I mentioned at the start you're one of the uh the top-ranked guys out of the WHL. I think most people have you pegged as a a mid-first rounder. Are you a guy who thinks much about the draft? I you know, when I talk to players on this show, uh there'll be some guys who say they never want to think about it because it could be a distraction, and other guys they go out and they look to see where they're ranked and use it as a motivator. What about for you?
4: Um I don't know. I I don't really look at it too much. I I, I kind of got rid of Twitter so that I could kind of focus on myself and not have that outside stuff, um, get to my head. So, um, I mean, I obviously you think about it sometimes and when a list comes out, there's guys that tell you about it, but, um, you know, just a time when you think about it for a couple minutes and then you just let it leave your brain and, and go back to reality. So, um, I mean, I think about it, obviously you have to think about it a little bit, but, um, I, I try to keep it as minimal as possible and, and try to focus on on my on the team.
0: Does it matter to you if you're a first round pick or if it's a second round thing? I mean, there's no question you're going to get drafted. So there's no pressure in that regard, but is there some sort of, you know, drive to be a first rounder? Is it important to you?
4: I mean, yeah, obviously you want to be a first rounder and you want to walk up on that stage, but um, you know, it's at the same time, it's, it's whatever team wants you and um, whatever team thinks would be the best fit for you. So um, obviously being a first rounder is, is what I, I would want, but uh, at the end of the day, it just comes down to whatever team wants you.
0: Um, and as long as you're taken before 51st overall, like Brendan was, then you still got br- you still <laughs> yeah. got bragging rights.
4: <laughs> yeah, a little bit of bragging rights at home,
0: yeah. <laughs> uh, now, for uh, the uh, general audience, again, who hasn't had a chance to watch you play, how would you describe yourself? Can you give us a, a bit of a scouting report?
4: Um, I think I'm a smooth skating, two-way defenseman. Um, take care of my defensive end first and um, make a pass and join the rush. Um, Physical D-man, I um, like to use my size and, and my skating to my advantage and try to close my gaps um, and make it hard on the team's other the other team's best players. So um, just a two-way defenseman, uh, smooth skating.
0: Essential scouting has you listed at 6'2 and 186 pounds. I've seen it somewhere else it was 6'3, but uh, there's not that much difference. What are you at now?
4: Um, like 6'2, six 6'2 six and a half. I think it just depends on on uh, who's measuring and, and what it's like, but um, yeah, and a half, uh 185,
0: same. Now you got to play at the Helen Gretzky Cup back in the summer, so you get a nice early start to your season getting to play some competitive hockey in August like that uh, and got to play with a lot of guys that you're um, you know, com- not competing with but also who are draft eligible this year and you get to uh, play the top prospect game and things like that. Do you compare yourself yeah. with other defensemen uh, in the 2020 draft class?
4: Um, I don't know, compare, I mean, I think, um, you just kind of, I don't know, I don't, yeah, I don't know if you would say compare, but maybe it's just more like, uh, kind of you just watch them and there's obviously there's, there's things that other guys can do that, that you can try to add to your game. I think I just more than, more like learn from, from other guys that, uh, that I'm, that I'm competing with. Um, you know, there's, I'm a student of the game and, um, there's always things that can, that you can learn and there's. Things that, uh, other defensemen could do better than I, that I can. So I'm just trying to add things that maybe they do that makes them so good to my game and, mm-hmm. and, uh, kind of just watch what they do.
0: Now you have a teammate that's also up for the draft this year in Ozzy Weisblatt. Maybe you can give us a, a bit of a scouting report on him. You get to practice with him all the time and you get to play with him. What makes him a talented player?
4: Um, he's got, I think he's just so shifty. He, uh, he always finds a way to, to get out of, to get out of, uh, tough situations and, um, he's got, Incredible hands and, um, really slippery, really slick with the puck. So, um, you I think he, he's a big guy. Um, he's got a big body frame and he, uh, he loves to compete. He battles hard, um, really fast. So I think just the way he, the way he moves and his edges and just everything about him, um, he, he's a really good player and, uh, it's good to be able to, to get to go through this with him.
0: Now, Caden, as an Edmonton area guy, did you grow up uh, an Oilers fan, or uh, I remember Mark Pasek back when he was your age uh, told me he was a Calgary Flames fan, uh, cheering behind enemy lines. You're both from Sherwood Park. Uh, who was your team growing up?
4: Yeah, no, I've been an Oilers fan my whole life.
0: It's pretty good now that they're a good team. You can, it's uh, it's not embarrassing to cheer for them. You don't have to, yeah. uh, you know, you don't have to make it a secret.
4: Yeah, we had a few tough years, but uh, <laughs> no, it's good that they're doing well now.
0: Well, Caden, I really appreciate your time. Uh, best of luck the rest of the way in the regular season into the playoffs. I, I fully expect uh, uh, the Oil Kings and the, uh, the Raiders will uh, meet up again uh, in the playoffs and uh, have another exciting series. Thanks for your time today.
4: Yeah, awesome. Thanks for having me.
0: That was Caden Gooley of the Prince Albert Raiders, the uh, first overall pick in the uh, Bannum draft his year, and uh, has lived up to expectations, and certainly this year has really taken his uh, offensive production to a completely different level. I mean, last year's team was deep, so probably didn't get, you know, top-line minutes like he would have on most teams in the league, and this year he is that guy and uh, has 40-plus points already this season, so uh, a great year for uh, Caden Gooley, and that's a team that's going to be, to me, they're the best team in the East Division. I have seen uh, Brandon play here uh, recently. They actually played really well against the Oil Kings uh, in a game that I saw uh, on the road and uh, got to take part in, but... From a broadcasting perspective, I didn't play in the game, duh. Uh, But big weekend series between the Wheaties and the uh, Raiders might go a long way in deciding uh, the final standings in the East Division as uh, right now they're separated by five points. So if the Raiders could at least get a split, uh, then it would stay at least five points with uh, only five games left to go at that point. Uh, But if Brandon happens to pull off two victories this weekend and they've, uh, they've been playing some pretty good hockey... Uh, boy, that would uh, really narrow the gap to just a single point and make things super interesting and tight uh, right down to the wire in the East Division. So lots on the line, exciting hockey. Get out there and watch it if you can. One segment left to go, and speaking of playoffs, it's playoff season already in the Alberta Junior Hockey League. Tyler Remchuk from TSN 1260, host of Inside the AJHL. He's next here on the Pipeline Show. Pashnik with a fake shot, and he goes the other way, spinning a couple more spins, two or three of them, Princeton Paschuk. Paschuk with a shot. He scores! Four down! Princeton Paschuk. Are you serious? Hey, it's Princeton
4: Paschuk from the Arizona State Sun Devils, and you're listening to The Pipeline Show.
1: From the organization that brought you Mark Messier, Matt Benning, and Ian Mitchell, Spruce Grove Saints Junior A-Hockey is officially back for the 2019-2020 season with all the action taking place at the grant Fear Arena in Spruce Grove. With tickets starting at just $15 per person, AJHL Hockey provides some quality entertainment. For more information, visit www.sprucegrovesaints.ca.
0: You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming.
6: We know each other. He's a friend from work.
0: Last segment to go on this week's episode of The Pipeline Show, and uh, we're going to talk a little AJHL playoffs. Uh, the host of Inside the AJHL on TSN 1260s on uh, Saturday mornings is Tyler Chuck Joins me now. Tyler, welcome back to the show. How's things?
3: Oh, they're great, Guy. I always love coming on The Pipeline Show.
0: Oh, well, I appreciate you uh, making the time for the program. Uh, interesting times in the AJHL playoffs. Some surprises. I'm a little surprised how close some of these series have gone and some of the underdogs got uh, early wins. Uh, there's no sweeps it looks like. Well, maybe uh, Whitecourt could sweep but um, it looks like a pretty competitive start to the playoffs.
3: Surprisingly competitive, especially when you consider like how many teams make the playoffs in this league. You always feel like you're due for one sweep somewhere. The one I had circled at least at the start of the of round one was uh, down in between Olds and Drumheller. You're looking at an old Grizzlies team that uh, they barely won this year. They had something like nine wins in the regular season. Sorry, I have their record right in front of me. Uh, they went 10-41-7. The team they're going up against, the Drumheller Dragons, went 37-18-3. I, that one had sweep written all over it. And then game one, Olds absolutely stuns them. It wasn't even close. It was a 4-1 win. But Drumheller's bounced back. They won five nothing in game two. 4 nothing in game, or 4-3 in, in overtime in game three, and they have control of that series once again. But yeah, I think surprisingly close is a good way to sum up round one so far.
0: Just uh, in, in looking at the standings in an era in, across all sports where parity seems to be what everybody strives for to have in their league, uh, it's not that in the AJHL yet. There's really four teams that are, I think, could be considered contenders this year. When you have a league that has, you know, the Short sure Park Crusaders with 49 wins. They only last nine games, and then you mentioned the, the Calgary Canucks, who only had nine wins. Uh, there's there's a pretty big disparage between the the, the high end teams and the low end teams in the AJ.
3: Yeah, there is. Um, yeah, basically the standings are almost reverses of each other, right? A team like Lloyd goes 11-41 and six this year, and yeah, as you said, Short Park 49 and nine. Uh, you you mentioned four teams that are contenders. I think it's a little bit bigger than that. I, I'd expand the list to six. I, I'd assume you were talking. Crusaders, Saints, Okotoks, and Brooks, right? Yeah, yep, for sure. Yeah, I would include Whitecourt and Drumheller in there, just off the back of their goaltending, and specifically Drumheller. They got Daniel Allen back from the USHL, um, just right at the end of the regular season, and what this guy was doing. And he was almost unbeatable. G. Like his numbers in those final eleven games, he had an eight and three record, but he had a one fifty six goals against average and a nine forty four. Percentage like this guy's legit. He can win you a series almost single-handedly, and I want to say the same thing out in white court as well. Like Vinnie Duplessis, he's three and 0 so far in the playoffs with a 131 goals against average, and even if you go back to the regular season, he was nominated for goaltender of the year for a reason. This guy's legit. So I think there's six teams with legitimate championship aspirations right now
0: all right well i'll 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 defer to you you see the league a lot more than i certainly do um i just thought after the first round then you get it kind of gets a little bit more serious because all the teams that got first round buys are are the uh, the heavy hitters in the league and i i thought it wouldn't really matter until you got to the uh the division finals when you finally got down to to four teams certainly you would agree though that Sherwood park and and uh, okotoks and brooks and and spruce would be the heavy favorites
3: Yeah, I think there is sort of like, I I mentioned six teams with championship aspirations. I do think it's broken up into two tiers. Like the three teams that got their buys, the crew, the Oilers, and the Bandits, they're definitely above Bruce Grove, White Court, and Drumheller. But I think that second round, if those are the teams that end up making it there... It's going to be fascinating hockey, and the, I'm thinking about the division finals. Like, if you could get a Sherwood Park, Spruce Grove, Okotoks, Brooks final four, mm-hmm. like, oh man, that that hockey might be some of the best junior hockey played in the country.
0: All right, well, let's uh, jump ahead two weeks, and that is the uh, the projected uh, series matchups. Who do you like coming out of the south right now?
3: coming out of the south are, are we talking about a potential potentially coming out of the second round
0: it, well no I'm even d- just looking ahead to the finals uh, to me I, I would be stunned if it's not Okotoks and Brooks playing in the in the south final
3: yeah I, I would be pretty surprised as well I drum Heller could maybe do some damage but I think Brooks is going to be a team that that should be able to move past the dragons yeah um yeah. it's it's real tight and honestly the X factor in this and not to sound too like I'm stating the obvious too much but it is goaltending, but for interesting reasons. Like for Okotoks last season, Brady Parker was all the talk. He was going to be that next big young goalie in the AJHL. And then at the start of this year, he lost the crease. It was A- it was Ashton Abel, and Ash- Ashton Abel is putting up some incredible numbers. And then in another surprising turn, Abel decides around Christmas that he's going to go to Boston University early. So now it's Brady Parker's crease again, and he was really struggling up to that point in the regular season, but he pieced together. Just an incredible second half. Eventually got nominated for one of the two goalies of the year in the South Division. And he's been lights out from January on, but there's still that part of me that goes, I remember October and November still. I wonder if that's maybe in the back of at least Brooks' mind, should they go up against the Oilers? Right. And same thing for sure. Bandits with Pierce Charleston. Like As reliable as he had been over the course of 18 months, he had a couple of rough, rough starts down the stretch there. His numbers are still good but with these two goaltenders, they're both capable of being just absolutely lights out. But they're also both capable of looking fairly average. So I, I think it'll be... i It's really tough to tell. I think I like Okotoks just a little bit more. I like their back end just a little bit more. But it's as close as to 50-50 as I think you can get.
0: Yeah, I think we could call it a, a coin flip. And I don't know if home ice advantage would mean all that much uh, or, or not. Uh, and, and really, the only X factor injuries you can never really plan around injuries so if, if both teams can get there healthy then boy it could be quite serious and in the north that mm-hmm. you've got sherd park and spruce grove and and even even this is a year where the spruce grove saints look like underdogs the, the crusaders have just been juggernauts uh, all season long are they i have, the last time i looked i think they were still the number one ranked team in the entire country at the junior a level
3: yeah they ended the year as the number one team in the country it's, it's almost the, this Saints and Crusaders matchup. It feels like the exact reverse of what it's been in the past, where the Crusaders are just this highly skilled juggernaut team. And the Saints, it's weird to call them an underdog or a scrappy underdog, but they're built with depth and good coaching. And, you know, there's three pairings deep, four lines deep, and they also have Matt Davis between the pipes, who can be absolutely incredible. Um, I'm not calling this one a coin flip. I, I think the Crusaders are favorites, and for good reason. They have the two top scorers in the league on their top line. They have the league's best defenseman. They have the league's best goaltender in Carter Guylander as well. Their power play, when it gets going, it's nearly unstoppable. Um, And and it was a season series that the Crusaders did pretty well in. They they went 4-2 against the Saints, a plus-11 goal differential. So I don't think this one is as tight as Brooks and Okotoks. I'd give Short Park an edge, but I also think there's a bit of a mental thing in all this. Like, the, the Crusaders got outed last year in the North Final by this Saints team, and, and I do think it's a bit of a mental hurdle for the Crusaders when they, when they roll into Grant Fury Arena. Mm.
0: Uh, you've seen uh, the Crusaders a lot. I know you're, you're close to the team. Uh, Carter Savoy, obviously a guy up for the draft, so is uh, uh, Michael Benning. Um, for uh, fans who haven't had a chance to watch, you know, casual NHL fans that don't watch junior hockey, uh, what would you, how would you describe those guys? What would you tell listeners uh, about those two players that they, uh, what they should know about them?
3: Um, I'll start with Savoy. He's, I think he's listed at five ten. They they might put him down to six foot, but he plays like he's six foot three, two hundred pounds. Like he's tough, tough to knock off the puck. He throws around his weight. He's got a bit of a nasty side to his game. Like he got suspended in his rookie season. Uh he got real close to getting suspended again that season for taking too many goalie interference penalties as well. Um he's got a bite to his game. He's had, in my opinion, an NHL caliber shot since he came into the league. Uh, he's, he's a natural goal scorer. Like this guy knows where to put the puck. He knows how to find the back of the net. And there's other areas of his game that, that really help him do that. I mentioned his size, but he, he's got quickness too. When you look at him, he, he's a little bit of a bigger kid, but uh, size wise, but he moves really well around the ice. And the shot is obviously the number one thing that stands out for Benning. It's, it's his hockey sense, I think. Like his ability to control the pace of play from the back end. He'll make a tiny little move in his own zone where he just, it's a simple spin, but he finds a way to elude two guys and makes a nice breakout pass. Like, I don't think I've seen him make a poor breakout pass all season out in Sherwood Park. Um, and yeah, just the way he can control the game, it, it's incredible. And I think the fact he lead, led the league, or led defenseman in assists, really shows that.
0: Now, the uh, Saints also have a player that's up for the draft this year that's uh, getting some attention.
3: St. Albert product, Ethan Edwards. And he's Thank actually you. a guy who the Crusaders recruited very, very heavily, I heard. And his whole thing was he's played with Benning growing up, and he kind of said, you know what? I want to show what I can do and how I can be the big offensive guy. And that's why he ended up going to Spruce Grove. And, yeah, he doesn't get as much attention as uh, as Michael Benning does, and maybe it's the last name, maybe it's the fact he doesn't play for you know the number one team in the country. But I'll tell you what, I watched him real, real close, the last meeting between the Saints and Crusaders in the regular season, and I thought he was the best defenseman on the ice, with both teams in that game. He doesn't have the incredible offensive numbers, uh, 33 points in 50 games. He's committed to go to the University of Michigan in a couple of years as well. But I, I think a team would be very wise to take a look at this guy in the draft. I, I don't think he'll go, it, he won't go till the later rounds, but similar traits to Benning. Very offensive, very smart, moving the puck out of the zone. Uh, maybe doesn't skate as well, but he can be just as effective.
0: Not very big, though, eh? Like He's listed at 5'9", 155 pounds.
3: Yeah, and that's what I was gonna say. Benning isn't the biggest defenseman either, but I, but he's a little bit more solid on his skates than Edwards would be, and I think that's another difference between the two.
0: You mentioned Carter Guylander in passing a little bit earlier, a Detroit Red Wings uh, prospect. Um, I don't. He had a slow start this season, but boy, his numbers by the end of the year terrific.
3: Part of the slow start, at least from the people I talked to, was kind of attributed. He was at that World uh, Junior Club Cup in Russia. Yeah, and he made JHL, brought him over, and didn't play him. Like he didn't get into a single game. So by the time he came back to North America, there's the whole, you know, jet lag thing and all that, but he didn't have a training camp. Like he came in and had to jump pretty much right into action in preseason, got a couple of preseason starts and bang, it was regular season. And I think it just took him a while to get his game up to midseason form. But once it got there, like, oh man, this guy is huge, right? He's listed at six foot six, close to 200 pounds, I believe. And the thing that always stands out for him with me is, he makes these two-on-one saves or breakaway saves look so easy. And you almost need to like take a step back and go, you know what, that wasn't an easy save he just stopped with his chest. That was a two-on-one, but because he's so big and he moved so well, he made it look like a simple stop. Um, he's a very, very good goaltender. He's going to Colgate next year and it's incredibly unfortunate that we won't get to watch him in the AJHL anymore because he's a true talent.
0: Yeah, his has got traded to Tri-City. I still think he's going the college route, though, so uh, we'll see uh, what happens for him at Colgate. Uh, all right, lastly, uh, your show on TSN 1260 inside the AJHL. It started earlier this year, right? Uh, uh, what do you got coming up this weekend, and how have things been going?
3: Uh Things have been going great. Uh, waking up every, early every Saturday isn't uh, the most <laughs> ideal thing, but I get to talk junior hockey for an hour, so I love doing it. Um, we've had some great guests throughout the year as well. Coming up this weekend, I think I'm going to try to get a couple of play-by-play voices to break down the series that have uh, been going on so far in round one. So I don't have names yet, but something's coming eventually. I'll, I'll figure it out here in the next hour or so, I bet. Um, it's fun, though. Every Saturday, 9 a.m., TSN 1260, all junior hockey talk for an hour.
0: Awesome. We'll look forward to that. Uh, Tyler, as always, appreciate your time, man.
3: As always, we appreciate you having me on.
0: There you go, that's Tyler Urumchuk from TSN 1260's uh, weekend show called Inside the AJHL. Uh, I know Tyler fairly well from the last couple of years. Uh, he's been at the station, came through the Nate program, was an intern at TSN 1260. has been in the booth as the on-site engineer for uh, an on-site producer uh, during the uh, Edmonton Oil King uh, broadcast, and all-around good guy from St. Albert. So I uh, wanted to get him back on the show. He also does a lot of writing uh, at... Uh, Oilers Nation as well for uh, Oilers fans and does an Oil Kings thing there as well. And uh, I think he's got a he's, – man, he's all over the place. He's got a couple of podcasts, an Oilers one and an AJHL one, um, which uh, might be specific to the crew. Uh, but that now he's got his, uh, his own show on TSN uh, for the Alberta Junior Hockey League. Great stuff. Give it a listen. That does it for this week's episode. A loaded show, though. Five full guests, and that's two weeks in a row. Usually I have four guests. Sometimes something happens and I only end up with three. The last couple of weeks, I've had five guests. uh, So uh, loaded shows. All of those interviews have been available to uh, patrons for the last uh, three or four days. Uh, So early access uh, for uh, people who chip in a couple of bucks a month. It's all done uh, via PayPal and Patreon. So I don't see credit card numbers or anything like that. Uh, If that's of interest to you, why don't you check it out? Patreon.com slash The Pipeline Show. Patreon is spelled P-A-T. R-E-O-N dot com slash the pipeline show. There'll be a little uh, welcoming video, which actually is overdue uh, for uh, a refresh, Uh, but a little bit about the show in case you're a newcomer. Obviously, if you're listening to this, you would have just listened to an entire episode, but um, there's some perks you can get for signing up at different uh, levels. And uh, the entrance one is uh, having early access to all these interviews. So if, uh, if that is of interest to you, I'd encourage you to do it. Uh, And uh, it's very much appreciated. Uh, The show would not exist at this point if not for uh, listeners like you who have uh, chipped in and become patrons of the show. I mentioned it at the start of the program as well. If you uh, get your copy of the Pipeline show through iTunes or Spotify or one of those uh, services where you can leave a rating or a comment or both, uh, then please take a second and uh, do so as it's a great help for newcomers who might stumble across the show and uh, have never heard of it and are wondering what it's all about and why it came up as a suggestion for them. Uh, you, can, you can help um, ec- expand the audience uh, for the show. So I, I'd appreciate it if you would uh, take a, a second or two uh, to do that. Next week on the program, uh, more 2020 draft spotlights. The U Sports National uh, Bracket will be set. In fact, they'll be getting ready to play games. So I'll have an interview with somebody probably earlier in the week. Again, if you're a patron, you'll hear that uh, in, a, in a more timely fashion. Otherwise, it'll uh, come up probably just as the uh, games are, are about getting set to get going. Updates on all the CHL uh, playoff races and, uh, of course, four conferences in the NCAA are starting playoffs this weekend. Uh, we'll look uh, We'll look back at what's already happened and ahead to uh, the playoffs in uh, Hockey East, which we did already today, and the NCHC. Uh, this is their final weekend of the regular season, too. So uh, lots to get to next week. Between now and then, make sure you get out and watch some college junior hockey so that you and I can talk about it next week here on the Pipeline Show. Until then, my name is Keith Flaming. See ya!